Amen. Well, thank you, Lyle. It's, it's awesome how far and compliments 20 bucks will get you. So I, I, I appreciate that. And uh, well, it's hard not to be joyful when you get to work here uh, with the other great Sojourn staff members. And then also what a joy it is to get to gather as a church every Sunday morning to hear God's word uh, read and proclaimed. And, and so I'm so excited to get to be with you guys this morning as we go through Daniel chapter 2. And so as I prepared for this morning, I have definitely learned a lot of different things, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get to share some of those things that I've learned this week with you guys as well. But one thing I definitely learned is when you are offered an opportunity to preach, it's important that you ask what passage it will be before you say yes, right? And so I accepted and then was told Daniel 2, and here we are. And, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a fun one, and so buckle your seatbelts, fasten in, and let's, uh, let's see what God has in store for us in Daniel chapter 2. Well, there is a saying commonly referred to as the Chinese curse that goes like this, may you live in interesting times. Now, on its face, that, that kind of sounds bizarre. It's, uh, why is that a curse? It'd be a curse if I said to you, may your life be boring and everything you do be dull. But as we realize, uh, maybe look a little bit more closely at this curse, we realize that uh, it is right to identify those interesting periods in human history as some of the most tumultuous, most violent, and most destructive periods that we can remember. One example I think that illustrates this well is the American Civil War, right? So the American Civil War rightly identified as an interesting period in history. There have been over 58,000 books written on the subject. That's a book per week since the Civil War ended. And, uh, but I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, is there is absolutely no way that I'd want to live during the period of the Civil War, where state fought against state, brother against brother, and over 600,000 people were killed. And the reality is we don't get to choose the period in time in which we're born or the period of time in which we live. And so one of the, the wise decisions I think the pastors here at Sojourn made was that this summer we'd take a, a break from our series through Matthew and look at Esther and Daniel, two people who live during interesting times. Because as we know, as Christians living in 2019, these are interesting times. These are times of unique challenges. These are times of uh, different things that we faced before. But yet at the same time, there is so much familiarity. There is still the same God. There is still the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we come in these interesting times, it is good to be reminded that we are not alone, that there are brothers and sisters uh, in the family of God who have gone before us, who have lived the life well and have left an example for us. And so that's exactly what I hope uh, to do this morning as we look at Daniel chapter 2 together. One of the things that I think can be problematic about interesting times is that they are prone to distraction. We can be really easily distracted by the, the things around us, the changing cultural landscape, those different political arguments. We can be distracted both uh, those things external to our families, but also those things internal as a result of all the change that is taking place. And so my goal this morning as we look at Daniel chapter 2 is certainly not to convince you that we're in interesting times. 
I think your social media feed and looking on the news uh, makes that argument for me. And also, my goal this morning isn't to uh, talk about some of the factors contributing to why this is such a unique period. There are people way smarter than I am who, who do a really good job. But what I want us to focus on this morning is that I think we find there are two things here highlighted in Daniel chapter 2 that are things that as Christians, especially in these interesting times, as Christians living in 2019, that we are often prone to forget. And as we study God's word this morning, I think these things are a good and necessary reminder for us. And yet also as we look at Daniel, we see an awesome picture of a man who did not forget these things, who flourished and the most interesting of times, and remain faithful to all that God had for him. And so, as I looked at Daniel chapter 2, I, I've wrestled a lot about, like, how much of these 49 verses should I actually read to you? And so I was kind. I said, well, I'll just read the last three. When they stand, I'll let them sit when I go through more. And I promise I'm not going to read all 49 verses, but we're going to cover a lot, so you're going to have to listen fast this morning. But before we jump into the, the scripture uh, I think it's important that we remind ourselves of, of the context of what's going on. And so there is an overarching tension all throughout the book of Daniel. And that tension is highlighted in the fact that Jerusalem has been destroyed. God's people have been ripped from their homeland and they are left questioning, God, are you still in control? God, are you still in charge? God, are those promises that you have made still ones that we can count on? And so in the midst of this major tension of questioning God, where are you? Daniel, as an exile living in Babylon, is also faced with an immediate tension. And we find that tension right away in Daniel 2, verse 1, when we read that in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. Now, it is never good when the most powerful person in the world has stopped sleeping. This is already a king who is quick to be off with your head, and now he is sleep-deprived. And so we know that there is tension mounting. And so this king does what any powerful king would do. He summons the wisest of the wise, the best of the best, the magicians, the sorcerers, the, the group known as the Chaldeans, and he says, come to me and I need your help. I've had this dream I'm troubled. I need you to tell me what it means. And the, the group of wise men, they come to the king and say, Oh, king, may you live forever. Of course we can help you. That's what you pay us for. Just tell us your dream, and we'll gladly give you an interpretation that suits your pleasing. And the king says, Not so fast. Maybe that worked with lesser kings. But I'm Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest of the great, the best of the best. And so you will tell me my dream, and then you will tell me the interpretation. Well, the wise men look at themselves and they say, Well, Sir, King, that's not how it works. You've got to tell us the dream. And the king says, no, 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 I will not say it again. If you cannot tell me the dream and its interpretation, I will rip you limb from limb and your house will become a garbage dump. And so the wise men, in verse 10, we see that they proclaim rightly, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. And so with that, the order is given, the the workers of the king go out to round up all of the wise men and to set them on a course for destruction. And that is where we find our hero, Daniel. 
Daniel, as we learned in chapter 1, had been taken from Jerusalem, brought to Babylon, and he had been introduced into this group of wise men. And so even though he wasn't in this initial group talking to the king as a part of the group of wise men, he is going to be put to death as well. And so we pick up in verse 16, and we see as Daniel is responding to this news that he is going to be put to death with the other wise men. And so we read, So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter, urging them to ask the God of heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens. And so we see Daniel's response being put right in the crosshairs of, hey, wise man, this is it, end of the road, king says off with your head, is to go before that king and say, oh king, give me some more time, I think I can give you an interpretation to this dream that is troubling you. And Daniel responds with a bold trust and a bold prayer. In verse 27, we see Daniel is now before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar is saying, all right, Daniel, you say you can give me the dream, let's hear it. And Daniel sa says, Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and the visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in your bed, thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know what will happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king and that he may understand the thoughts of your mind. And so we see that by the working of God, this dream has been miraculously made known to Daniel. But this is where it gets interesting. So fasten those seatbelts, we're diving in. What is this dream? What troubled King Nebuchadnezzar? What did God reveal to Daniel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. Your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and, things were, and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and the feet were partially iron and partially fired clay. As you were watching, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet and iron and fired clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the fired clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell you the things the, the king, its interpretation. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. God of the heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Whether people, wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything, and like iron that smashes, it will crush and smash all the others. You saw the feet and toes partially of potter's fired clay and partially of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, 
though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay, and the toes of the feet were partially iron and partially fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong, and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay. The people will mix with one another, but not hold together, just as iron does not mix with fired clay, just in case you didn't know. In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, and this kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fired clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation reliable. All right, take a deep breath. We got through it all And now we're left scratching our heads going, what in the world is going on here in Daniel chapter 2? You see my concern the first time I read this verse after knowing that this sermon was inevitable, right? So what what is actually happening here in Daniel chapter 2? Well, again, I think it's so important that we we view Daniel 2 in part of this larger picture. And the reason that Daniel is in Babylon, the reason that Jerusalem has been destroyed, is that the people of God, his chosen people, Israel, had neglected God, had forgotten him, had chased after idols. And so as we read through the Old Testament, prophet after prophet came to the people of Israel and called them to repentance. And the call was specifically, remember your God. Do not forget him any longer. Come back to him. So we see here that the reason the people have been destroyed, the reason Daniel is in exile, is that the Israelites as a whole had forgotten their God. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, I think that we too can often forget who our God is. We can become distracted by the things of this world. We can be distracted by the interestingness of this age. And we can fail to remember rightly who our God is. Now, we might be able to confess certain truths about who our God is. We might be able to make bold, sweeping declarations. But functionally, how we live our lives, we live as if we have forgotten who our God is. And so this this morning, I think it's incredible in Daniel 2 that through the dream of a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, God is reminding his people and reminding us who he is. And so this morning, I think there are two main things that we can uh, be reminded about God that are good for us to hear as Christians living in an interesting age. And then we will see the man, Daniel, who did not forget these things and flourished in the midst of all this difficulty. So the first thing I think we see here in Daniel chapter 2 that we often forget is that we forget that God is the God who reveals mysteries. We forget that God is the God who reveals mysteries. There's this incredible contrast at play here in Daniel chapter 2. In verses 10 and 11, we we hear the proclamation of the, the wise men, the Chaldeans, when they say, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. 
And so we see that these wise men, that we can give them credit. They are actually wise. They confess rightly that there is no way that you can actually know a dream that you did not have and know a dream that has not been told to you. And yet, this unknowing of the wise men is contrasted with the God who reveals mysteries. In verse 19, it's just stated plainly, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel prays the God of heavens. And then as he stands before King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28, he says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. So what does it mean? What does it mean that our God is a God who reveals mysteries? Well, this means that our God is able to be known. It means that he has uh, told us about who he is. He has made the great mysteries of this life known to us. As Christians, I think we often neglect the wisdom of the wise men. We think that we are able to figure everything out on our own, that we can use the science and the technology of our age, our human ingenuity, our right thinking to figure it all out. There is no mystery that the modern 2019 American can get on their own. Yet we do well to remember that there are those mysteries in which we do not know, but accept those mysteries that have been made known by God. Paul, writing in Ephesians 1, 9, talks about these mysteries. And he talks about how God has made known the mysteries of his well preeminently through the man, Jesus Christ. You see, when we remind ourselves that our God is the God who reveals mysteries, what we are doing is we are reminding ourselves that God has made himself known to us and he has invited us into a relationship with him. He's not a distant God, an unknowable God, but a God who desires to be known by his creatures and desires to have an intimate relationship with each of us made possible through the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we can become distracted. We can become forgetful. We can forget that God desires a relationship with us and that he has made these mysteries known to us. But we do well to remember here in Daniel 2, that our God is the God who reveals mysteries. Secondly, this morning, I think that we often, as the people of God, can forget that God is the God of the statue. What do I mean by that? Well, in this dream, we, uh, there, it, it's a bizarre dream. There's no getting around it, right? Uh, the one thing that we can know for certain this morning is that you would need a much, much smarter preacher if you were to actually know what all aspects of the dream are this morning. But I am not that smarter preacher, and so you'll have to go find someone else. But what we do know for sure is that God in this dream reveals that he is sovereign over everything. He says that there, it is only because of God's sovereign will that Nebuchadnezzar has been placed over all things. Think about the question that's answering for the people of God. They're crying out, Lord, how could you allow this pagan king to come and destroy your own temple? What are you doing? Where did you go? Are you, have you stepped out? And what God is saying and revealing through this dream is no. I'm still in control. I'm sovereign. There is not a king or kingdom that comes to power without my divine will. Now that certainly raises a lot of questions in our minds and is a, a worthy pursuit in trying to tie those all neatly, but I don't necessarily think we can and definitely can't in the time we have this morning. 
But I think when we remind ourselves as Christians living in 2019 that God is sovereign over all things, it gives us a great deal of hope. It gives us a great deal of confidence to live in the midst of these interesting times. First, I think this reminder gives us hope for the present. We know that no matter the political turmoil, no matter the chaos in the world around us, both within our own country and beyond, that God is in control. That there is not a single nation that comes to power apart from His divine will. It should give us confidence that our God is in control and we can rest in His divine plan. But there's a second part of this dream, and that is that God is in the process of crushing these evil, wicked nations and setting up a true and righteous and good kingdom that will never pass away. And so even in the midst of the turmoil, even in the midst of the craziness going around, we can do rightly to remind ourselves that this is not our ultimate, uh, ult- this is not what will ultimately be our reality, but we look forward to the coming of this kingdom where everything will be right, where sin and death and evil are defeated. And so Christian, as we remember that our God is the sovereign God of all, we should be filled with confidence. Yet, what's so awesome about Daniel chapter 2 and and what I think is so cool is that the whole narrative centers around one who does not forget. Daniel is in exile. He is with the people of God, questioning God, where are you? Yet he doesn't forget his God. And even in this story, he is faced with a threat upon his life. Yet he does not forget God. And so I think the way that Daniel responds in the midst of this situation gives us a kind of a pattern for how we as Christians can flourish in the midst of the temptation to forget our God how we can stay faithful as we wait for God's eternal kingdom and for all things to be set right. One of the things that I I think is so remarkable, and the first thing I want us to consider is that Daniel's initial response to the knowledge that he is going to be executed with the other wise men is to go before the king and say, I can do it, please give me some more time, and then go before God in prayer. And so the first thing, Christian, that we can be reminded, this pattern for flourishing and when we are tempted to forget is this. Don't forget, pray. Daniel in verse 18 and 19 responds in prayer. He encourages his friends to pray and longs for God to make this mystery known. Now, I I love what Daniel actually prays for. Because, you know, if I drop myself into Daniel's sandals and I'm just honest, I know what I would pray for. I say, dear Lord, please let King Nebuchadnezzar have a heart attack. I do not want this guy messing with me anymore. Or, dear Lord, please let Jesus come back. I just want to escape. This is hard. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, we see that what Daniel prays is not a prayer of escapism. It's not trying to ease his own discomfort. But what Daniel is praying for is that the mystery of God would be known. Not because Daniel wants to show off and say, hey, look, I'm the smartest guy in the kingdom. But Daniel desires to know the mysteries of God so that he might stand before the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar and proclaim that his God, the God of Israel, is the one who reveals mysteries. Daniel is praying, seeking that God would use him in the moment that he has been placed to proclaim the glory of God. The result of his prayer is that others would know that God is the revealer of mysteries. 
And so Christians, as we think about how do we live in the midst of interesting time, it is vitally important that we are cultivating a deep and robust life of prayer. Now, in most areas of life, we practice when things are easy so that when things get difficult, it's already routine. Yet for some reason, prayer, we seem to do the opposite, right? When things are good, we say, "Ah, I don't really need to pray today. Life is good. I'm not even going to think about prayer. But yet when life ratchets up and, and things get difficult, we are quick to go to our knees and to go before God in prayer. And what I think we learn well from studying, not just Daniel here in chapter 2, but the entirety of Daniel's life, is that it wasn't just in the midst of difficulty that Daniel responded in prayer. No, prayer was a regular pattern of his life. It was just what he did. It's who he was. It's what he did. And so too should we as Christians. Prayer should be what we do because of who we are. The second thing I think we can learn from Daniel and the way that he flourished in the midst of this interesting time is that Daniel did not forget he trusted. And so in the English language, when we hear the word trust, it it comes with it this natural question, in what? Right? It's not just trust for trust's sake. It's not just a hope it works mentality. It is a trust in something. And one of the things that is so awesome as we read through God's word is that we would be hard-pressed to find an instance in which God invites or expects someone to trust him when he first does not give evidence or a reason for that trust. For example, we think of Moses when he was called by God out of the wilderness to go back to Egypt to lead his people in the Exodus. God called Moses to trust him, but he gave him three things. He gave him uh, the divine name, I am, goes with you. He gave him power, uh, miracles, the ability to throw a staff down and turn it into a snake, and a divine commissioning saying that I am going with you. I will accomplish my divine purpose. And so Moses was able to trust. So to the disciples who followed Jesus, they saw a life of Jesus teaching with authority, a life of Jesus performing miracles, and they saw the ultimate validation of who Jesus was in his death, burial, and resurrection. They were called to trust in Jesus, but they were given evidence for it. And so we see that's exactly what Daniel is doing. Daniel has trust in God. But it's not just God generally, not just hope and trust in a divine being that would maybe make life better. Daniel's trust was specifically in the God of Israel. And so what I think is so cool is that Daniel shows that he has his trust in, in two main ways. I'm, I'm using a, a little bit of, of reading into the text, but I think it's right. And so Daniel, as we found in chapter 1, he desired to remain clean and pure following the, the Hebrew dietary standards. And so I go out of limb. I think Daniel was pretty familiar with the Torah. And so when Daniel here in Uh, in Daniel chapter 2 is faced with this idea that a dream must be interpreted, I think Daniel's mind went right to Genesis 41. He said, I, man, I've seen this story before. I know what happens. I knew there was another guy named Joseph in a foreign land, and there was another powerful, powerful king who had a dream, and no one can interpret it. Yet God raised up Joseph just in that moment so that he would reveal that dream to the Pharaoh, be elevated to a prominent position, and save his people from a famine. And so I think when Daniel hears from the guard, Ariok, that there are, there's a dream that cannot be interpreted, his trust comes not just in the abstract power of God, but in the specific knowing that God has worked to reveal dreams in the past and that he can do it again through Daniel. 
in this situation. Daniel knew who his God was because he was familiar with the God of the Bible. But yet Daniel also knew who his God was because he had experienced the faithfulness of God in his own life. As we see, uh, just saw last week in chapter 1, Daniel decided that he was going to keep himself clean and pure, abstain from eating the meat of the king's table, drinking the wine, but instead eat vegetables and water. And God blesses that. God uh, allows Daniel to prosper as he makes that decision. And so Christian, we too can cultivate a trust in God, but again, it's not just this, that we would go into our trust room and will out some more trust. No, we cultivate this trust by knowing who our God is. The first way we do that is we deepen our knowledge of who God is by knowing how he has revealed himself in scripture, by looking to those who have gone before us and how God has continued again and again to prove himself faithful by studying the attributes of God so that we might know who it is that we are trusting. But in some ways, it's even more powerful. We must remind ourselves of how God has been faithful in our own lives, just as Daniel had something to anchor himself to in his own personal life of God's faithfulness. My wife and I just got finished reading a book by a man named David Goggins, and it's, it's a, a really great book. He uses some colorful language, so be warned if you are taking this as a, uh, as a recommendation. But in David Goggins' life, he overcomes a, a lot of stuff. And there's a chapter in the book in which he, as an ultra runner, talks about this mental process he developed of going to the cookie jar. And so what David Goggins is basing this off of is when he was a boy, his mom would make sure that the cookie jar was even filled. So even though when they didn't have a lot, there was still a treat at the end of the day for her son that he could have and make the day just a little bit better. And so what David Goggins did is he took that, that visual of a cookie jar and he, and he put it in his mind. He's developed a mental cookie jar. And so as an ultra runner, as he was running miles and miles and still had miles to go, his body was broken down, he was feeling fatigued, he was ready to quit, he talks about going to the mental cookie jar and reminding himself of all that he's accomplished physically and athletically before. He talks about, man, I, I've been through buds. I'm a Navy SEAL. I've passed Green Beret School. I've run the Badwater 130, the hardest ultra in the world. I can do this. And I think as Christians, we would be right to develop our own spiritual cookie jars, that we would fill these things of the reminders of how God has been faithful in our life. So when disaster comes, when difficulties strike, we do not crumble, we do not run in fear, but we go to the spiritual cookie jar and pull out, man, God, I saw how you were faithful in that illness. God, I saw how you were faithful in that relationship, and I know you'll be faithful again. See, that is how we remain faithful. That is how we flourish when we're tempted to forget. Finally, I think we learn rightly from Daniel that as Christians who do not want to forget, we should praise God. Verses 20 through 23 in some ways are unnatural. It would be more consistent with how the story is told to skip from 19, the mystery being revealed, to write to Daniel standing before the king getting ready to tell him what this dream meant. We don't even know what Daniel actually prayed. We don't even know how Daniel's vision was revealed. All this detail is left out. But the author of Daniel chapter 2 is very clear that there was a devoted time of praise to God before he went before the king. He responded by praising God for who he was and, and what he had just done by making this great mystery known. 
And so I think we see that praise is what reinforces this whole process. Praise is what reminds us and drives us to prayer. Praise is what is allows us to have these things that which we anchor into, that we will hold in the future of how God has been faithful. We do this in all of life. We celebrate those things that we want to remember. If a sports team wins a championship, they have a parade. They have a big celebration. Why? Because they want to celebrate the accomplishment, of course, but they also want those people living in the city to remember what had been accomplished there, to, to look back fondly at that period and remember when we had the parade, remember when we were champions. We do this in our own life too, right? We celebrate anniversaries and birthdays and job promotions and other special events because not only do we want to give honor where it's due, but we also want to remember these things. So too in our relationship with God, we need to be a people who are constantly praising him for what he's done, allowing ourselves to go through this rhythm of praying and trusting in him and growing deeper and deeper and more closely tied to him so that we can flourish in the most interesting of times. Daniel was an incredible example. He did not forget he prayed. He did not forget he trusted and he did not forget he praised, and so too should we as Christians living in 2019. What I think is so cool about reading Daniel chapter 2 is this is a book of the Bible that happened long, long ago. And there are actually things that Daniel trusted in happening in the future that we as Christians now look and realize that they happened in the past. And most significantly of those, Daniel only trusted and God's faithfulness to one day send his Messiah. But yet we look back now and know that that promise was fulfilled. And so when we think about what we anchor ourselves to as Christians, what we can trust in, even when the world gets turned upside down, even when we find ourselves as a church in interesting times, we anchor ourselves in the fact that God proved himself faithful in sending his son. He did not leave us in spiritual exile, but brought us into a new life in him. He did not leave us in death, but through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can now have life in him. And so as we think about this idea of remembering who our God is, we need look no further than who he revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we close... I began with a Chinese curse, but I think it is right that we end with a blessing. And so my blessing for you is this. May you live in interesting times and in Christ be reminded that your God who is the revealers of mysteries is Lord over all and is coming again to make all things right. And so church, I pray that you would leave this morning with the same declaration of the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar that our God is the God of gods and our God is the Lord of Kings. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how often we need to be reminded of what you have done. How quick we are to become distracted by both the ordinary and the extraordinary things in our life and how we confess that we don't rightly trust you. Father, I pray that we would be reminded that you are the revealer of mysteries, that you are sovereign over all. And Lord, that you would help us as we rely on the finished work of Christ.
to be a people who trusts you, who flourishes when we are tempted to forget. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have provided for us in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things I, I love about being here at Sojourn J-Town is that every week we have the opportunity to remember what our God has done and what he accomplished through the sending of Jesus Christ as we take the Lord's Supper together. And so, Christian, I invite you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and to take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience permits, the wine is marked by the wine, and that you would remember what has been accomplished for you by Jesus, and that you would remember that you have all you need to stand firm in the most interesting times. But if you aren't a Christian this morning, my invitation for you is not that you would take the bread or the juice, but that you would take Christ. That you would know that he is worthy of your trust, that he desires to be known by you and to be experienced in a relationship with him. Take Christ today. Church, as you're ready, let's come and take this meal together.